Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. There's been such a travesty performed upon our culture today in this idea that coming to Jesus just means, hey, it's all all good. Have you ever thought about what is the most surprising thing about being a follower of Jesus? Well, maybe you've never given it that much thought, and maybe there are several answers. But if we ask that question to a group of believers, we'd probably find within them this answer. I didn't realize there would be so much suffering. You can sit down and shut up and you let the world go by and not say anything and and probably not face a whole lot of hardship from people, but can't then call yourself a fully devoted follower of Jesus because you are now at odds with His Word. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. In Christian circles, it's common to extol the benefits of being a follower of Jesus Christ, and we certainly should. Giving our lives to Jesus can bring us a life of peace, contentment, and joy. It also brings forgiveness of our sin, adoption into the family of God, and the promise of heaven. We certainly have much to extol, but as Pastor Clay is going to share with us in today's message, Jesus told His disciples that if they persecuted Him, we could expect no less. But I chose you out of the world. For this reason, the world hates you. As we continue in our series through the book of Mark, we find John the Baptist imprisoned for speaking out against sin. It seems like the perfect time for God to demonstrate His power. But as we'll hear Pastor Clay say today, things don't always turn out the way we think they should. Thanks for joining us for our series, Jesus, the Real Action Hero. I got a few things I want to say today. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you, guys. One of them is coffee is good. (laughs) You know, I never drank coffee growing up. My parents both drank coffee, just black. They didn't put anything in it, and it was strong. And and I grew up in South Florida. It was hot, and you're always sweating and stuff. And I remember, like, my mom mom would say to my dad, you know, it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you want some coffee, hon? Yeah. And they're drinking coffee, and it was just nasty. But... Some years ago, some of y'all got us a Keurig, and it was all over after that. It's, it's, been, it's been bad, so now I'm kind of addicted to it. Uh, not long ago, not too long ago, we, uh, Travis and Lauren, my youngest son Travis, his wife Lauren, invited us over to their house uh, for dinner. And uh, we sat down to eat, <clears throat> and in their, uh, their dining room area, uh, Cindy, you know, sat here, and I sat here, and we were like right against the wall, right? The table was there, and, and we were right against the wall, and uh, Travis sat at one end, and I think Lauren was at the other end, and then, and then Emery, Emery, their three-year-old, was supposed to sit on the other side. Ellie was in her, her high chair, but uh, of course, it was, it was dinner time, and so we're all coming in, we're sitting, we've all sat down, and we've actually started to eat, and Emery uh, says, uh, I want to I sit by Nani. I want to sit by Nani. That's Cindy, his Nani. And uh, Lauren and Travis say, no, you can't sit by Nani. Uh, Nani and, and Poppy are already sitting there. There's no room over there. Your place is right here. Uh, you're going to sit here. I want to sit by Nani. I want to sit by Nani. You can sit here and eat your dinner, or you can go. I don't even think they even had to finish it. Ah! He took off running to the bedroom, the, the timeout place. Took off running to the, to the, to the bedroom, to their bedroom, the timeout. And so we're sitting there eating, and I'm, I'm telling you, it's probably, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. You can hear, off in the bedroom, down the hall. Nani! I want Nani! 
Nani, I want Nani, <laughs> I want Nani. On and on, there's a 10, 15 minutes. I want Nani, uh, Nani, I want Nani. Poppy, I want Poppy. Poppy, I want Poppy. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm like, it doesn't happen very often. Wants Poppy. So I get up from the table. I go down the hall. I open the door. And he's laying, he's laying on, on, their, on the bed. He's kind of on the side closest to me, you know. And, and as I open the door, you know, he's, oh, Poppy, I want Poppy. And I open the door, and he gets kind of this little, uh-huh, kind of little grin on his face, you know, because he's glad to see me, right? He's glad to see me. And, and so, you know, I start, I start walking towards the bed, toward the side where he was. And as I'm walking, he's kind of just easing over the, to, the, to the other side of the bed. Now, well, that's nice. He's making room for me. He wants Poppy to lay down with him. And everything, and, and so he's like, <laughs> and so I come <laughs> and I kneel down beside the bed, and as and as I kneel down, you know, I'm saying, I said, what's wrong, buddy? You need Poppy, and uh, and he and just and as I kneel down, I do that. He gets the other side of the bed, and he comes off the other side of the bed, and he sprints around the bed and out the door, and as he goes, he's yelling, yeah, so you get out of the way, so I can get to Nani. <laughs> three, he's three. That ain't right. I know that's not good English, but it ain't. It ain't, it ain't right. Today, uh, as we work through the book of uh, Mark, we're continuing our series in the book of Mark. We're looking at Jesus, the real action hero. Today we're going to look at the story of somebody that stood up and said, that ain't right. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open them to Mark chapter 6. That's where we are. That's where we've been for the last couple weeks. And I think I added up the other day in total. We're going to be like six weeks just in chapter six. So I hope y'all are okay with that. We've just taken our time working our way through the word of God and pulling out the nuggets that God has to say to us and how they apply to our lives. If you like to take notes, there is an outline on the back. Feel free to do or not to do as whatever is the best way for you to learn. That's what this is about. It's what we want. Uh, we're in Mark chapter six, uh, beginning this morning in verse 14. We're going to go all the way through verse 32, but I'm going to only going to read uh, right now to verse 18 and then we'll... We'll continue on as we go. If I just haven't said it to you lately, uh, thank you for being here. Uh, I appreciate it because, as I said, I, I, I would much rather uh, uh, give a word that God has given to me. I'd much rather give it to people than to empty seats. And I'd love to see all these seats filled up. And, and by God's grace and by our action, that, that will happen. But, but it blesses me when you are here. But more importantly, I, I truly believe it honors God every time you make the effort, no matter what went on in your Anything going on in anybody's household this morning? <laughs> Just curious. I'm telling you, when I was raising when I was raising my kids, it was like, oh. <laughs> Some morning, because maybe it's still like that. But you've honored God by being here this morning. You really have. Acts, uh, Mark chapter six, being in verse fourteen. Uh, listen to the word of God. And King Herod heard of it. Now it's, he's referring to he, he's hearing about these miracles that Jesus is performing. And King Herod heard of it. For his name, meaning Jesus, had become well known. And people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead, and that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others were saying, he is Elijah. And others were saying, well, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he kept saying, John, whom I beheaded, has risen. For Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. 
because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Here's the first uh, truth from this text, or truth that's, uh, that's impl- stated and implied in the text, I think we can say. Fully devoted followers of Jesus may experience external suffering. And if you'd rather change that may to will, you know, feel free to do so. But fully devoted followers of Jesus may experience external suffering in this world. Physical, uh, external suffering. Now, uh, let's kind of set the scene here. uh, Mark tells the story of John the Baptist's death through a flashback. Uh, You see, Herod, who is king, I'll explain that in a minute, Herod, who is king, has heard about all these miracles that Jesus is doing, and he's heard what the people are saying, and the text seems to imply at least that Herod also believes that John the Baptist apparently has risen from the dead and he is either empowering uh, Jesus to do these miracles or he, he they're one and the same either way that's what the people are saying that or at least that's what some of the people are saying that's what Herod uh, believed and so uh, the problem is in in the book of Mark I mean it's not a problem but this is the first time we've heard that John the Baptist is dead Mark hasn't covered John the Baptist's death. So Mark uh, has to do uh, kind of a flashback. And he has to tell the story of what happened to John the Baptist so that his readers, who predominantly, by the way, historically uh, would be predominantly non-Jews, they would be Gentiles, so that they would be up to speed and understand what had happened. Now, here's the scene. And some of you know this, uh, maybe from history or if you've studied your Bible, uh, but some of you may already know this. But in this time period, roughly 2,000 years ago, Rome, uh, the city of Rome was the center of the world. The empire of Rome was the empire, the ruling empire of the world. They, they controlled most of the known uh, civilized world and beyond. They were stretching beyond all of that. And in the midst of all their conquering, of course, had been the nation of Israel. They had conquered the people and the nation of Israel. Well, it was, it was Rome's uh, practice to whenever possible, set up kind of a, a puppet king for, the, for that nation. Now, Rome still called the she, uh, shots. They still had... I, I'm getting my, my merge wixed up today, aren't I? I don't, I don't know what's going on. I'm getting all confused. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Boy, that's the truth. Okay, where was I? Oh, um, so uh, uh, Rome is ruling the world. They're ruling the country, but they would set up a puppet king. It kind of gave the people some sense of their traditions and, and maybe some sort of at least false illusion that somehow they, they still had their nation, even though Rome was clearly in charge. In, in Israel, it would have been Pilate, the, the Roman you know, official, but, but they had a dynasty. Herod was the king. Now, some of you may remember Herod the Great. Now, that's different from this Herod. I'll explain. Herod the Great... Uh, was ruling at the time of Jesus' birth. You remember Matthew chapter 2? That's the Herod that, that had all of the male babies from two years of age and under in the city of town of Bethlehem put to death because he was trying. He, he knew, he'd heard the, the prophecies about the Messiah coming and being born in Bethlehem. So he had them all killed. That was Herod the Great. Herod the Great was a ruthless person. He, he had some of his own children uh, murdered. But among the, the numerous children that Herod the Great had were... 
Aristobulus, um, Herod Philip, and Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas is the Herod we're following today, okay? Got me? That's, that, he had several children. Herod the Great had several children. But Aristobulus, uh, Herod Philip, and Herod Antipas. Y'all with me? Yes, sir. All right. <laughs> All right. Because this is where it really gets weird. Aristobulus had a daughter named Herodias, who Herod Philip took as his wife. So Herod Philip married his niece. All right. <laughs> Antipas, Herod Antipas, probably because he took the throne after his father died, probably because he had the throne, stole Herodias away from Philip and took Herodias as his wife. So Herod is not only married to his brother's wife, he's married to his niece. I'm telling you, all my children's got nothing on these guys. And John the Baptist stands up and says, this ain't right. This ain't right. Now, besides the whole uncle-niece thing, okay, Leviticus, uh, I think chapter 16, or chapter 18, somewhere in there, and chapter 20, explicitly forbid a Jewish man from marrying his brother's uh, wife uh, unless his brother had died. But nobody's going to stand up, right? Nobody's going to stand up and tell the king that he's wrong, right? It's like, it's like that story. You know, remember, you remember that story when you were kids, the story of the emperor and his new set of clothes? Any y'all, y'all remember that story? Everybody knew the emperor was naked. <laughs> Some con man had sold him these fake clothes, told him how good he looked, convinced him. And everybody knew that, that the emperor was naked, but nobody wanted to tell the emperor he was naked. So everybody's like, you're looking fine. That's a good looking set of clothes. That's how it is. No, nobody wants to stand up and say, uh, 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 Herod, this is not right. But John did. He had built his whole ministry around uh, this idea of calling people to repentance, calling people to an understanding that God has a, has a moral standard that people have to live by if they want to be successful in life, if they want to be healthy in life, if they want, to, if they want that culture to succeed in life, that society, that God puts moral uh, standards and, and moral boundaries in place for our good. Not because, as I've told many people, not because he's the cosmic killjoy, but because he loves us and desires what is best for us. And so uh, John stands up and said, this is not right. And, and Herod doesn't like it and has him thrown in prison, but Herodias can't stand it, and she won't sleep until he's dead. It's the idea of standing up and recognizing that as a follower of Jesus, there will be times when you may have to suffer for your faith and for standing up for truth in this world. It's just going to happen. I, w- I was reading this week, I was, I was just, I am a student of history, and, and I, was, I was reading again this week about the Nazis in Germany, in Europe in, in the 1930s, when they were, when the Nazi party was rising to power, Hitler and, and, and all of his thugs, and they were rising to power, and they were beginning uh, their atrocities against the Jewish people and, 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 some, and others as well. But nobody wanted to, apparently nobody or very few people wanted to stand up and say, this ain't right what you're doing. As a matter of fact, not only would, would most people not stand up and say, it's not, a lot of people were just, in Germany, were just, were just going along with it. I came across this 
quote, this is from a, a pastor, a German pastor, um, uh, uh, Hermann Gruner, who said this. He said, the time is fulfilled for the German people of Hitler. It is because of Hitler that Christ, God the Helper and Redeemer, has become effective among us. Hitler is the way of the Spirit and the will of God for the German people to enter the Church of Christ. I found this. They didn't name this guy. I can understand why. Another pastor said this. Christ has come to us through Adolf Hitler. I remember reading uh, a few years ago about this, this little church in Germany that met near a set of railroad tracks that carried the Jewish people who the Nazis uh, rounded up and put into cattle cars and, and shipped off to the death camps. And this church uh, lie along the main uh, train that went to Auschwitz or one of the death camps. And uh, after the war, uh, some people of, of the church, members of that church, were asked whether they knew that the train cars that were passing by when they were meeting, whether those train cars were filled with Jews on their way to the death camps. And the people admitted, they said, yes, we knew. We knew that they were. We could hear their cries. They, as the trains went by, uh, they would yell out of, the, out of the cattle cars, the box cars. They would yell, help us, help us, do something. The people of the church said, but, but we, we were just so afraid. We were so afraid to, to stand up and, and say anything. And so uh, the, the person that was interviewing them, questioning them, said, well, well what, did, what did you do when you, when you heard the trains coming and when you, when you heard the people yelling? What did you do? You know what they said? They said, we sang a little louder. It is this understanding that, that suffering is sometimes part of what it is to follow Jesus. If you're going to stand up and say, that ain't right. One person, and there were many, but one person who did stand up, one pastor who did stand up in Germany was a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Maybe some of you have read some of his, his writings. Bonhoeffer was a theologian. He was a, a professor at the university. He was a pastor. Bonhoeffer began to openly uh, condemn the actions of, of Hitler and the Nazi party in, in writings, in, in sermons, in lectures at the university. His, his reward was to be thrown in prison. Uh, but look at this little excerpt of what one of the things that Bonhoeffer wrote uh, in his book entitled The Cost of Discipleship. Bonhoeffer said, Cheap grace is preaching forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate in us. Listen, it, this is, just, you know, I, I'm, I'm so, I think there's been such a, a travesty performed upon our culture today in this idea that, that coming to Jesus just means, hey, it's all, it's all good. When Jesus told us something totally opposite of that. You've read this passage, perhaps uh, John chapter 15. If you belong to the world, listen to what he says. If you belong to the world, the world would love you as its own. No problem. However, because you do not belong to the world, but I chose you out of the world, for this reason the world hates you. Well, that's a strong word. Remember what I told you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they obeyed my word, they will obey yours too. But they will do all these things to you on account 
of my name because they do not know the one who sent me. It's just, it's just part of it. You understand? And that means a couple different things uh, for us. The, uh, one may be fairly obvious, the other one not so much. Uh, but, the, but the first one is this. Calling it wrong doesn't gain you friends or fans. This is the one that's rather obvious, right? Because, hey, nobody likes to be told that what they're doing is wrong, right? Nobody, nobody wants to be... Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure, at least in our culture, the only wrong just about that you can commit anymore... Is, is to stand up and tell someone that he or she is wrong. And, and, and calling it wrong is not going to gain you friends and fans. It's, it's just not. If, if you approach a, a family member or, or, or a friend or a coworker that's confided in you or they're, or they're sharing their heart with you about something and, and, and they have made a decision, maybe they made a decision in their marriage that's not biblically based, it's not, it's not based on, on what Scripture would, would allow for divorce or, or any of these kind of things, and, and you stand up and say, hey, listen, here's what God's Word says. You just don't understand my situation. If I had a dime for every time I've heard that one, oh, you just don't understand my situation. If you, if you say, and then you don't have to look far, right? But if you, if you begin to talk to some family member or some friend about some uh, sexual activity that is outside the parameters, the moral parameters that God has designed, whether we're talking about sex before marriage, whether we're talking about adultery, whether we're talking about uh, homosexuality, uh, or, or on and on, wherever all our culture may take it. It, it, it. And you begin to say, that, that ain't right. Here's what God says. You're narrow-minded, or you're old-fashioned, or you're behind the times, or, or, you're, or you're whatever. See, I'm just, I'm just saying to you that you're, you're, not gonna, you're just not going to have a lot of people lining up to be your friends and fans. Now, you can... You can sit down and shut up and you can let the world go on and go by and not say anything and, and probably not face a whole lot of, of uh, trouble or persecution or, or hardship from people in your life. You can probably do that. But then I'm just telling you what I think God's word says. You can't then call yourself a fully devoted follower of Jesus because you are now at odds with his word. And his word says you have to speak my truth. Remember all those passages? If you are here last week, remember those passages in Ezekiel we looked at? You've got you to speak my word. Okay, the, the, the second one that may not be quite as obvious is this. Getting it right doesn't guarantee you God's protection or prosperity. And, and, I, and I say this one may not be as, as clear because if you listen to much of, of modern preaching that's going on on television and stuff these days, you might, not, you might get just the opposite implication. You, you might think, well, well, I'm following Jesus now. It's, it's all going to be good. It's all, you know... But it's simply not the case. It's just, it's just not how it works. There, there is a cost to following him. And, and, and just because I get it right, I choose to do it right, and I, and I want to live it right, and I want to say it right, all that kind of stuff, it does not guarantee God's protection or God's prosperity in, in my life. And in my opinion, one of the major injustices of, of a modern stream of theology that is, that is referred to sometimes as prosperity prosperity gospel, one of, the, one of the injustices of it is that, is that it, it teaches this very idea that, that if, you, if you go with God, that God wants you to have your best life now. And, and I, I'm sure I'm jealous, but they stand up there in their $3,000 suits and their $200 haircuts and they look you in the face and they say, uh, you can drive a Benz too. 
God wants you to get the promotion. God wants you to, to get the big raise. God wants you to have a big house. God, God wants you to have, have all this stuff. And listen, I'm not, I'm not railing on, 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 good, on, on nice clothes or, or, or nice cars or, or nice houses. I, I'm not, I'm not railing. I'm just saying that, that, it, that it, this is not guaranteed. You, you, just, you just can't guarantee that that's going to happen in your life. Right? I, I, don't, I, I, just, I don't think that you can. Okay. Huh. Let's... Uh, Let's go on. Fully devoted followers of Jesus uh, may experience internal confusion. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm experiencing uh, external suffering, there may be some internal confusion. Partly because of what's going on. Partly because of the false teaching or the watered down teaching or the whatever else that's going on. But there may be, in some of our lives, some internal confusion over what's going on. Let's read it in verse uh, 20. Pick it up in verse 20. Y'all with me now? You, you here? All right. You're tweeting out lots of good stuff. For Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous man, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. The implication being that Herod's not letting Herodias put him to death. He's got him in prison, but he won't let her, he, he won't let her kill him. And when, when he heard him, he was very perplexed, but he used to enjoy listening to him. Herod apparently would go down to the prison cell and have John preach to him. Verse 21, a strategic day came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his lords and his military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And he swore to her, whatever you ask of me, I will give it to you up to half of my kingdom. That was a good dance. And she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. Now I want you to think about the, the bitterness and the anger in this woman. She has just been given a ticket to half the kingdom that Herod possesses. And she asked for one guy's head. Immediately she came in a hurry to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And all the king was, was very sorry, yet because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. Now, now wait a minute. Wait a minute. That can't be right. That, that's, there must be a misprint or something in the New American Standard. That, that, that cannot... That cannot be right. It's got to be. Uh-uh. Let's let's. We, maybe we better read another version. Let's see how how, how this how this comes out. Maybe we better read the the HEV. Let, let's see what the HEV says. And John's friends, family, and followers were earnestly praying for John's release. And John himself was on his knees in his cell, praying to the Lord God for deliverance from the hand of the enemy. And lo, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in the prison. A violent earthquake shook the place where John was held and the guards fell as dead men in fear. The prison doors flung open and John the Baptist walked out with the angel of the Lord. And John's ministry continued for many years and many came to know the Lord through John's ministry and the people of God rejoiced greatly at what exceedingly great things the Lord had done. Right? Right? That's the way it's supposed to end. That's the way it's supposed to turn out. But it doesn't, does it? Now listen, I have absolutely no doubt 
that John's family, friends, and followers were praying earnestly for John. I can see John on his knee in his cell, praying that the Lord God would accomplish his purposes and perhaps even deliver him from this cell. And I, I can see the people of God gathered there and they are praying. And, I, and I, I can guarantee you, several of them said, we're believing God for a miracle here. We're believing God to work this out. And faster than you can say, God's got a plan and he's going to work this out. John's head is on a platter on its way to the banquet hall. Wow. Really? What happened? That, that's not how the story is supposed to end. But it, it, it does end that way. In, uh, in verse uh, 21, um, the word that is uh, translated uh, strategic, in the Greek it's ukairu. Uh, it means uh, opportune. An opportune time arrived. You understand? Herodias had been waiting and waiting and waiting. And when the opportune time arose, she struck. By the way, can I, what time is it? Can, can we do just a side, side thing here just a second? Can I just say this? This is a word, this is a word for you men in here. This story, guys, you listening to me? Young guys, old guys, whatever guys, are you listening to me? This story tells us just how impulsive, how ignorant how stupid men can be and i am a man so i can say that one little girl does one little sexually provocative dance and i don't think anybody would argue that that's the implication of what's going on here that one little girl does one sexually provocative little dance and herod and all the rest of the men gathered in there, their tongues are dragging on the ground. And they're saying, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. Half my kingdom, I'll give it to you. Please tell me. What do you want? What do you want? You want? You see, notice in verse 6 that the word uh, oath is plural. Apparently, Herod's just over and over again. I'm telling you. I'm telling everybody. I'll give that woman anything she wants. Just take. Oh, really? Oh, listen. Listen. Okay? <laughs> all right. Let's, let's look at Proverbs. Let's look at Proverbs. Then I'll come back to it. Proverbs 5. Uh, it says that, that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge for the lips of an adulterous drip honey. Just that, that pull, that temptation, that power. They drip honey and smoother than oil is her speech, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Listen, I, I know, I understand that this can happen to women uh, and, as it can happen to men, but can I just say, tell, tell you this, that because men are so visually driven, because they are so sense-oriented, guys... This can happen faster than you can possibly imagine. So I'm, I'm just telling you, just, just be careful and know that it is not worth it. And that if you want to honor the Lord with your, with your life and you want to honor, honor your wife with your life, don't, don't go down this trail, okay? All right, back, back to the sermon. That wasn't a sermon. Back to the sermon. Do you just think, in the midst of all this, do you think after all this is said and done and John's head is chopped off, do you think that perhaps there could have been just maybe a little bit of confusion among John's followers? I mean, sure, they knew that that John wasn't the Messiah. He had had been teaching them that. He, He had already been saying to them, Jesus must increase, I must decrease, right? But did he have to lose his head? Did he have to die? Wouldn't Wouldn't God have been glorified if God had miraculously delivered him? out of that prison cell? Wouldn't God be glorified to a greater degree if, if, if John had gone on and had years of successful ministry? From our thinking, from our 
finite, limited mindset. The happy ending version does make sense. Listen, here's the best answer I can give you. Because listen, can I, can I say this? Because it, it, it doesn't end this way, well for John. Adding or, or compounding the problem, in my opinion, is the fact that we can look at places in Scripture and in our own lives where God did come through. Right? Does that, does that not confuse you all at times? I mean, we can look and we can see the Israelites did come through the Red Sea on dry land. And when the bad guys from Egypt tried to follow them, God swallowed them up in the Red Sea. Exodus chapter 15. And David, this little David, this, this little teenage boy, did kill the greatest warrior giant in all the land with a slingshot. First Samuel 17. And Esther did gain the king's favor. And Mordecai swung from the very gallows that he had built to kill, to hang, uh, I mean, uh, Haman swung from the same gallows, the very gallows that he had built to hang Mordecai, Esther's uncle on. And the plan to, to destroy the nation of Israel was foiled. Esther chapter 7 and 8. God, God came through, right? Joseph uh, was delivered from prison. Genesis 41. Peter was delivered from prison. Acts chapter 12. Paul and Silas were delivered from prison. Acts chapter 16. John the Baptist was... Oh, wait. John the Baptist was beheaded. Mark chapter 6. See, it, 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 you see what we're, what we're talking about here, folks? It just, I know we think it should. Here's the best answer I can give you. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. I won't try and sugarcoat it. I'm not going to try and bluff my way through. I'm telling you, I do not know why God works and acts and moves sometimes one way and sometimes another way. And besides the biblical examples, every one of us, I'll bet, could, look, could think of examples where we know somebody that was cured of cancer because a bunch of people were praying for them. Or we know some person that was rebellious against God that was brought back to them. Or we know some marriage that was restored when people got down on their knees and prayed. Right? We all know all those examples. We can look at all that kind of stuff. I don't know. I can't tell you why God moves one way sometimes and another way other times. I can't tell you what I don't know, but I can tell you what I do know. And what I do know is this. I can tell you why I don't know. I don't know because I'm not God and neither are you. So here's what you got to do. Here's what, you, here's what you do know. You know this from Scripture and you know this from your life. If you, if you look back at your life, you think about your life, here's what you know. You know this. You know God is supreme over us. Listen, sometimes you just got to hold on to that in the midst of the craziness and you don't understand why it's not working out and why this is going... God is supreme over us. Look at... I love Psalm 8. Psalm 8, uh, verse 3 and 4. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? The psalmist says, wow, God, awesome. You did a nice job here. I can't even believe you pay attention to me. You even know I exist. Second... God does walk with us, folks. He does walk with us. And we say that, right? We say God is with us. God empowers us. God, God, God will provide for us. And all of that is true. What we can't say is that God gives us some sort of Jesus bubble that we stay inside of and no bad ever comes into the Jesus bubble. Um, Exodus uh, chapter 31, or Deuteronomy, sorry. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. Did you see that? Who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Again, in verse 8 of the same chapter. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Now, I know in its context, this is, this is written to the nation of Israel, but I would see no reason why this would not apply to any believer, any follower, any child of God. That he goes before you, that he goes with you. 
God does walk with us. And third, God will work through us. He, he really will. Look at uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 2. For we are his workmanship. He's, he's working this. He's fashioning this. He's doing this. He's, he's saved you. He's doing. He's turning you into the person he is. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. That's how we've come part of the body of Christ. For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And uh, you can't pass this one by Philippians chapter 1. In view of your participation in the gospel, Paul said to the church in Philippi, man, you, you're right in there with us. You're doing it from the first day until now. For I am confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it, will complete it, all the way up until the day of Christ Jesus. That's what we know. We know that he is supreme over us. We know that he walks with us. And we know that he will be with us in the midst of all of this stuff. Okay, all right. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, can I give them the saying? Tyler, didn't I have a saying that I just want you to get a hold of? Listen, just, this, this may be a good word for you. Not understanding is not the same thing as not believing. Can I just, it's okay? And, and sometimes that's all you got to hold on to. Man, God's supreme over me. I don't understand it all, but I, but I know the supreme over. I know that God is walking with me, and I know that God's going to work through me. That, that's what his word teaches, what I know is truth, and I'm going to hold on to those things no matter if, if, if the job doesn't work out, if, if, the, if the marriage is in flames, if, if my kids are in rebellion, if my health is in, whatever it is, I can hold on to that truth. If you can do that, folks, not understanding is not the same thing as not believing. And then the last one, uh, the, this, this is why. This, this is why that is true. Fully devoted followers of Jesus will experience eternal victory. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great place to say amen. I'd have said it louder if I was y'all, but that, that's just me. I don't, there you go, there we go. All right, let, let, me, let me just read verse 29. It's, it's just kind of wrapping up this part of the story. Um, and when his disciples heard about this, uh, they came and uh, took away his body and laid it in the tomb. John, John's disciples. The apostles, I mean Jesus' disciples, uh, gathered together with Jesus. Remember, they'd been sent out in twos. They come back, they, they, hear, they hear this word. They reported to him all that he had done and taught, all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. We're going to see a great miracle next week about that. And they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. The implication is, folks, ministry went on. The growth of the kingdom went on. Yes, John was no longer physically present. But can I say this to you? You already know this is true. And sometimes maybe just saying it out loud helps. The truth is, every single one of those prayers that were lifted up for John the Baptist were answered. Ladies and gentlemen, they really were. They really were. Maybe they weren't answered the way people thought they were. Maybe they weren't answered uh, in, the, in the best fashion that people thought. It would, oh, it would be better if John went on. It would be better if his ministry went on. But, but rest assured, folks, every single one of those prayers were answered. Because, listen to me, the second, the second John the Baptist lost his head, he gained more than you and I can possibly ever imagine. In that moment, it is the eternal victory that is promised to us. Listen, I, I mentioned earlier Dietrich Bonhoeffer carried off to prison. Eventually, he was, he was transferred to another prison and then eventually to, a, to one of the death camps in Frugenwald, I think it was. No, it doesn't matter, but... And on, I think it was May 9th, 1945, one month before Germany surrendered, Bonhoeffer was executed for standing up and saying, that ain't right. 
and he write? Ten years after his execution, a doctor who had been serving in the camp who witnessed Bonhoeffer's execution, his hanging, wrote this. I want you to, I want you to see this. The prisoners, there, there, were, there were six others who were executed with him. The prisoners were taken from their cells and the verdicts of court-martial read out to them. Through the half-open door in one room of the huts, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer, before taking off his prison garb, kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to his God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a prayer and then climbed the steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued in a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I have worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. That's really the, that, that's, that's really the point of this today, folks. Are you willing to submit to the will of God in your life, come what may? Are you willing to say, no matter what, God, sure, I'd love to prosper. Sure, I'd love to, I'd love to drive a Benz. Sure, I'd love to have health and live till I'm 98 and die in my sleep. I'd love all that stuff. But God, I, I, if every circumstance is good or every circumstance is bad, praise you. I'll follow you. I'll trust you. I mentioned in Acts chapter 16, uh, Paul was miraculously delivered from prison. But you know what? It was only a few years later that he was arrested again. And this time there was no Houdini act. This time the blade of the executioner was marked for Paul. And these are some of the last words that we have before Paul lost his head for the kingdom of Christ. He said this, 2 Timothy chapter 4, But you, be sober in all things. Be, 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 be ready, be conscious. That's kind of the idea there. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. That just means to tell, do the, tell people about Jesus. That's the work of the evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me, here it is, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Listen, here's, here's, another, here's another good word for you, ladies and gentlemen. Here's an, uh, this, this is a good word. The trial has an expiration date. You do not. That's right. You do not. All of this stuff, all, the, all, all of it, it's all coming to an end. Here's the million dollar question. When? Right? Come on. When? When does it come to an end? When, does, when do I either I get out of this situation or when does Jesus come? Or when does it come to an end? That's a million dollar question, folks. And I'm afraid the answer to that question is above my pay grade. The trial has an expiration date. You don't. Suffering. As we heard today, it can be a part of the life of a fully devoted follower of Jesus. That can leave us asking, why God? In those times when we aren't sure what God is doing or why He doesn't seem to be moving the way we think would be best, we can trust in the character of God and hold on to the promise of the victory that will be ours in eternity. 
We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, We experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross, and it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.